things that are going on this week, uh, the, the normally scheduled things. Uh, on Monday morning, uh, the Bible study will be meeting at 11, and that's in the sanctuary. And there's only a week or two left in this current study, and the new books are in, and they're in the, uh, the Sunday school room that they're normally in. And those of you that have uh, been here for that, you know what room I'm talking about. Uh, so the new books are there, and you can pick those up if you want to get a head start on the next study. Uh, but once again, that's, that's coming up in a couple weeks. They're going to finish up. Uh, the next uh, couple weeks with the, the one they're currently on. Uh, also Wednesday morning, we'll have our prayer uh, prayer meeting and our Bible study, and that's done virtually. You can join us for that. We're actually nearing the end of our uh, current study there, too, and, and we'll be starting a new one in a couple of weeks. If you do want to get involved in the new one, uh, just let me know. And uh, that's at 1030, and once again, that is done virtually. And you will be meeting on Wednesday night at 6.30. That will be in the sanctuary as well. So we have those things coming up. Uh, also, uh, next week, uh, Becky's Bunny, uh, we're going to uh, be handing out the prize there, so make sure that you get your guests in uh, in the bulletin I put today, but you have until Wednesday, actually. I think Wednesday uh, at youth, probably, Becky will take that home and count it out. There's going to be a few less than when she started, but... Uh, but I get hungry during the day here, uh, so it, hopefully if you haven't made your guess yet, you can do that. The bunny will be here until Wednesday. Um, also, just in the bulletin, I have the note that uh, next week being Palm Sunday, all fashion sense and decorum is suspended. Uh, and if you haven't been here for Palm Sunday or don't know what I'm talking about, it will make a lot more sense next week. Uh, when you see uh, how I dress for Palm Sunday. And uh, like I said, anyone's encouraged to wear pretty much whatever you want um, on Palm Sunday. Uh, and if there are any last-minute changes, uh, we'll make sure we let you know either on Facebook or on our website. And so uh, those are the announcements uh, that we have for this morning. And let me begin with the words of the psalmist then from Psalm 100. It reads, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you indeed are good, and we do enter in with thanksgiving, and we give you all praise. We ask that you calm our hearts and our minds to the cares of this world, that we can focus on you and your truth and your glory. We ask that you bless this time of worship. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. And then uh, we will go to the Father in prayer, and I, I would uh, encourage you to uh, go uh, in silent prayer uh, with your confession uh, and repentance to the Father, and uh, then I will follow up with a pastoral prayer, but, but if, I'll give you some time here uh, with your own confession and uh, with other things that are on your heart this morning, if you will bring those before the Father silently. Let's pray.
O Lord our God, King of kings and Lord of lords, we do come to you with thanksgiving and praise. We know that the world is artful to entrap us. The world can present many a charming face and fascinate us. The world is happy with us living in our sin and even happy in our sin. But Lord, we pray that you will give us the faith to see your truth. That we will be devoted to your cause. Take courage in your name. Have your love as a working grace in our lives that we may be full of firmness and energy and zeal and all for you. That we may lay aside our sin and turn from it walking to you, Heavenly Father. We do confess that we have sinned. We have taken the bait, been snapped by the trap. Heavenly Father, we repent of those sins we ask for your forgiveness. We thank you that Christ died on the cross, that we may have forgiveness for our sins, that we may be made righteous by his blood, being your sons and daughters, heirs of your kingdom, with the future of your glory. We thank you for that promise. We thank you for your deep love and your deep mercy that passes all of our understanding. You astound us with what you do. Your power is incredible. And we thank you for that. We thank you for loving us. And we do lift up so many people as we've been praying. We, we pray for those who are sick those who are suffering uh, from COVID and, and the effects of that, and some have been suffering a long time, and, and Heavenly Father, we lift them up to you and pray that you will heal them. We pray that this pandemic can come to an end. We thank you for the vaccines and pray for their effectiveness. Always praying for the doctors and nurses as they navigate their way through this time. Heavenly Father, give them encouragement. We ask that you be glorified through all of this, that we can see your hand at work. We do pray for those who are suffering from various ailments, who are waiting for a doctors to, to give them ideas and, and to come up with a plan. Where We pray for those who are in mourning having lost loved ones, that you will encourage them and comfort their hearts through this struggle. Heavenly Father, we pray for our leaders during this time, that you will keep them safe and you will keep them healthy and that you will give them your wisdom that they may lead rightly, that we may live in unity. We pray for the nation, this, the heart of this nation, that you will give us your spirit, that we may seek your truth, long for your word 
be filled with your truth, your Holy Spirit enlightening our hearts and our minds. We pray for those who are lost in their sin. We ask that you speak to their hearts, especially those whom we know and love, and we can see them drifting away. Heavenly Father, pull them in. Pull them into your kingdom. Give them a heart that knows you and snatch them from the fire. Lord, your word is full of promises. It's like flowers of sweet fragrance, so precious. Help the world see the preciousness of your word. And may we be made strong in its power. As your church, may we be happy in the joy of your word and abide in its sweetness. May we feast on its preciousness. Lord, increase our faith. Make us bold for your truth. We thank you so much for calling us to your kingdom. And Heavenly Father, help us to increase our faith each and every day, we may be stronger and bolder for you and your ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And with that, then, I will have you turn to John chapter 7. And this morning, uh, we will look at verses 37 through 52. I know there's actually 53 verses in John chapter 7, but we're just going to go through 52 uh, right now. And let me set up where we are at. We're at the Feast of Booths, and uh, Jesus was a little late in showing up. Now, some, uh, your translation might say the Feast of Tabernacle. And what it is is a big camping trip, basically. And, and it's one of the, the feasts that the Jewish people really looked forward to, one of their... Uh, most joyful and anticipated feasts. They would all go to Jerusalem and camp out in tents, and it was a fun time. And Jesus showed up about mid-feast. You see that in verse 14, that about middle, middle of the way through he shows up. And it lasts uh, technically seven days, but there's an eighth day there as well. So the feast itself is, is seven days, but, but there's another day tacked on the end, a day of of rest and, and kind of getting ready to go back. And as Jesus was teaching, uh, he showed up, uh, his brothers wanted him to perform miracles, but he showed up teaching instead. Uh, well, the religious leaders didn't like what he was saying. They haven't liked what he's been saying for a while. And so you notice in verse 32, uh, the religious leaders wanted to have Jesus arrested. And so Jesus has been teaching a few days now, and here we are. Uh, on the last day of the feast, and there is some uh, question, does this mean the seventh day or the eighth day? John doesn't really tell us. It doesn't really matter. But the last day, whatever he considers to be the last day of the feast, uh, that's where we pick up the story again here at the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. And so let me read John chapter 7, beginning at verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, 
Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers said, No one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before, and who was one of them, said to him, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths that we can read in it. And we ask that as we look at it, your Holy Spirit will enlighten our hearts. We ask that you will strengthen us through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, there are seven days to this feast. Uh, the Feast of Booths is what I'm going to call it. And on all seven days of this feast, uh, what would happen as, as part of the day was, uh, once again, kind of this joyful uh, occasion, a week-long, seven, eight days. And, and uh, as in the morning, what would happen is, is they would start at, the, um, at the, the pool of Siloam. And the priest, the high priest, would have this, this golden flagon or, or this golden pitcher, and, and he would fill it with water uh, from this pool of, of Siloam. And then there would be this procession uh, back to the temple, led by the high priest. And, and as the procession uh, approached the south side of the inner courts, uh, these were all Jewish people, so they could go into the inner courts. There's the outer court and the inner court. And uh, they would come in by the gate of the, I believe they called it the water gate, actually. And, and uh, as, as they were entered in there, uh, there would be three trumpet blasts. And, and all of the, the pilgrims, if you will, the, the campers, the, the people that have showed up there, uh, they, they would be there, and, and well, as many as, as could get there, and, and uh, the males would have in their right hand a palm leaf, and in the palm leaf there would be uh, willow and, and uh, other twigs as, as well, uh, myrtle twigs, I believe, were part of it, and that would be in their right hand, all kind of tied together. In their left hand they would have a piece of citrus fruit. Uh, this feast, by the way, is after the first harvest, so it was part of a celebration of the harvest. So they would hold fruit in, the, in their left hand and have this, this uh, willow and, and myrtle and, and palm leaf in, in their right hand, and the temple choir would be singing, and they would be singing what's called the Hillel, 
which is basically Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. And when the choir reached uh, Psalm 118, kind of the, the apex of the whole thing, uh, every male would lift up the, the branch and, and the fruit, and uh, everyone uh, would shout out, give thanks to the Lord, and, and they would shout that out three times. It was this joyful uh, celebration, somewhat simple, uh, somewhat fast, but a, a, a joyful celebration to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. And then the priest would take this, this flagon or a picture of water, and, and he would pour it out. There was also wine. He had wine with him as well. And, and he would pour it out uh, before the Lord. And, and there, there was symbolic of a couple of, of uh, things this was symbolic of. The first thing is this was uh, representative or, or reminded them of the water that came from the rock when Israel was in the wilderness, because that's what this feast was kind of all about, remembering that Israel had been in the wilderness. God had brought them out of Egypt, and so uh, part of this was the, the water from the rock, and they would remember that, how God had blessed Israel and provided for them. The other thing being symbolized by this Thanksgiving and, and the pouring out of the water is uh, in the prophecies in, in the Old Testament, the Lord's pouring out of his spirit in the last days. And you can see that in Jeremiah and, and there's other places. And, and uh, they were looking forward to the, the age of the Messiah, the, the messianic age, in which this, this stream from the sacred rock uh, would flow over the whole earth. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit being poured out, basically. And, and they were looking forward to that, the Messiah. And, and the, the sacred rock, and, and the water pouring out. And so that's the context of, of Jesus when he blurts out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. It's not that he just blurted this out for no reason. There's a context to it, and there's a reason behind it, and the Jewish people would have understood the reason behind it. They know that Jesus is saying a couple of things here. Uh, one of the things Jesus is saying as, as he blurts this out, is uh, basically the last days are here. This is the messianic age. Here I am. Uh, and, and John kind of mentions that when he talks about the, the spirit here, how Jesus, uh, when he goes to the cross, and, and then he's ascended back into heaven, and then the spirit comes. And John will spend more time on this later in the book, and so will we, but but uh, the Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2, Pentecost. And, and uh, Jesus is basically saying that the age of the Messiah is here. These are the last days. And, and Jesus is also saying, by extension, and I am the fulfillment of this feast. This feast rite that we've been doing uh, year after year after year for many years now, it, it, every year it passes into memory. But Jesus said, I am the river. I am the living water. I am the eternal life. I am the fulfillment of what this feast is all about. River flowing with living water. It's not just a picture of water being water. It's a river. Whenever I think of, of Jesus, and, and he uses uh, things like, like a river to describe 
himself or, or the Holy Spirit being poured out like a river. I, I often think back to uh, when I first got out of college. I, I lived uh, one block away from the Mississippi River, literally one block. I would walk, and then there's what was called uh, Riverside Park in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and then right on, on the other side of Riverside Park, uh, is the Mississippi River, and I could stand there, and I would do this uh, more often than I care to admit, uh, and thousands and thousands of gallons of water just flowing, and powerful. You could see it, especially when the ice broke up, and the ice is flowing down the river, and just, just and every day, it, I could get up and walk to this river, thousands and thousands of more gallons are passing in front of me, and every day, and, and that's how I picture Jesus and the Holy Spirit being poured out just every day. It's more than I could imagine. And, and you could sit and watch this river and think, where does all this water come from? It comes from God. And that's God's power. That's God's love. That's God's Holy Spirit being poured out. It's not, it's not a picture anymore. It's not something that fades into memory. Jesus said, I, I'm eternal. Eternal life is what he's been teaching this whole time. He said, I'm the fulfillment of, of this feast. Well, how, how do the people respond to this? And, and I want to take a look at, at, there's actually four different people here, but, but three in particular. Uh, I want to see how the, the common people respond to what Jesus is saying. Uh, we'll take a look at the religious leaders, how they're responding. The officers, they play a little part in this as well, and they have, I think, the line of the whole passage. There's also Nicodemus, uh, who's in here as well, but, but let's take a look at some of these. First of all, just the regular people. We see that in verses 40 through 44. How do, how do they respond to all this? Well, some say, this is the prophet, and they're referring back to Deuteronomy 18, and, and we've mentioned this before where Moses told Israel uh, God will raise up a prophet like me, and it was be, it's obvious to see why they would think that. Here's this feast that's a celebration, basically, of, of God leading them into the wilderness and providing for them. So they would think, yeah, Moses and the rock and the water, yeah, this is the prophet. This is the one Moses was talking about. And, and uh, others were saying in verse 41, uh, this is the Christ, which is to say this is the Messiah. They were taking Jesus for what he just said. This is the, the Messiah, the living water, the fulfillment of, of everything. And if you uh, look back to uh, verse 31, you'll notice uh, they had already been thinking some of these people this way. Uh, when they were saying, when the Christ appears, when the Messiah appears, will he do anything more than this guy's doing? And they, they'd seen miracles, and they, they've been listening to what he's been saying, and, and so they say, He's, he's, he is the Messiah. Now, one of the things that it might surprise you a little bit is, is how could the people saying, well, this is the prophet, be arguing with the ones who say, well, this is the Messiah. Aren't they on the same page here? Uh, to the first century Jews, they're not on the, on the same page. In, in first century and, and even before that, uh, they saw the prophet and the Messiah as two separate people. Uh, they saw, okay, there'll be the prophet was like Moses, and then there'll be the, the Messiah who comes from the line of David. And so they have two separate people here, not understanding that Jesus 
perfectly fulfills the role of prophet, the perfect prophet, and the perfect king, and also the perfect priest. That's not part of the story here, but we have Christ as prophet, priest, and king. He, he fulfills it all. But notice this with these two groups. They, they both recognize that Jesus is something. He's, he's special. There's something going on with Jesus. The people that are, are thinking he's the Messiah, that they're, they're right. Now, unfortunately, they're going to be swayed by the religious leaders later, but, but they're on the right track, but they know he's something. The third group of people, these are the skeptics here, uh, and, and they say, well, wait a minute, he comes from Galilee. And, you know, the Messiah is not going to come from Galilee, so he, he can't be right. Well, what this third group has either forgotten or didn't care enough to look into is where was Jesus actually born? All they'd have to do was ask him, Jesus, where were you born? And he would have said, I was born in Bethlehem. They could have asked someone very close to Jesus, where was Jesus born? And they would have found out he was born in Bethlehem, the city of David. They have this lack of knowledge. They're not really trying to find out about Jesus. They're just coming up with the reason not to believe in him. Well, he wasn't born or he wasn't from the right place, so that's the end of that story. He's not who he says he is. And, and actually, uh, when you look at their argument, one of the ironies here, and this passage, by the way, is full of irony, uh, one of the ironies here is that they're actually arguing against themselves. Well, he's supposed to come from Bethlehem, so he can't be the Messiah. Well, guess what? If you'd have looked a little bit, came from Bethlehem. That's where he was born. And we have these same types of arguments today uh, concerning Jesus. Some will say, well, yeah, he is this great moral teacher. He is this great uh, guy who shows us a, an example of God's love. We have religions who will say, well, yeah, he's a great prophet. He's one of the prophets along with you know, several others, but he's not God. He's not the Savior. They, they, they will argue that same thing today. Uh, but the argument's no good. They're not seeking diligently, if you will, finding out who Jesus really is. They think they see a contradiction, and they're happy with that, and willing to say, well, he's, he's nothing special. Or maybe he's... And so there, there's this division, even to this day, who Jesus really is. And, and back there, there's this division among the people, and, and even the officers don't quite know what to do. Um, and so uh, we, they come to the religious leaders. And let's talk a little bit about the religious leaders before uh, we talk about the officers. Now, the religious leaders, what I want you to notice with them is their arrogance in this whole thing. They had put out the arrest warrant, as I mentioned back in verse uh, 32. The chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. And by the way, these officers, they're not uh, thugs or mercenaries. Um, they're, they're not even hired police officers or anything like that. These officers are Levites, and they're educated. Um, and if you go back to the Old Testament, you can see the people that took care of the, the temple, the temple guards, all of the, they were Levites. So they, these are educated uh, people, and, and they're Levites, and, 
And uh, notice that when the religious leaders uh, scorn them or mock them, however you want to put it, uh, it's not for disobeying orders. They say, hey, we sent you orders. You're supposed to come back. But rather, uh, they're mocking them for being deceived. In verse 47, are you deceived because you're having Come on, you, you know better than this, don't you? In verse uh, 48, we'll look at their arrogance here. Uh, they say, have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? Look at us! We don't believe in him. There's no reason anyone should believe in him. You're, you're not deceived like these other people. And notice, notice how they consider the rest of the Jewish people, these people that have come to Jerusalem. Not like that crowd in verse 49. Uh, I think the NIV translates that mob. Not like that mob. Uh, I love the NET uh, translation, rabble. Not like that rabble. I've always liked the term rabble-rouser for some reason. I don't know. But I can hear them saying, now those rabble-rousers, they don't know anything. They're accursed. It, this is a very derogatory thing that they're saying towards the people. And, and they're people from all over uh, Israel, all over Galilee, where, wherever they have come. They're cursed. They don't know the law like we know the law. We haven't been deceived. And even uh, their, their attitude toward Nicodemus. When Nicodemus, who is one of them, and, and we remember Nicodemus from chapter 3, when he came to Jesus and, and wanted to find out, you know, Jesus, who are you? What's this all about? And, and Jesus tried to teach him, you must be born again. And Nicodemus was having trouble. You have to go back in a womb? How does this all work? And but he had sought out Jesus, and then he points out uh, their own law to them, which is not really found in the Old Testament. Maybe it's uh, Deuteronomy 1.16, maybe. Um, but it's a law that, that they had adopted somewhere along the line. And, and he said, wait a minute, he gets a chance to come in here and, and say what he's all about. Let's listen to him. Let's listen to him. Well, of course, the Pharisees, they want none of that. And they mock him. What, are you from Galilee, too? Verse 52, you're Galilean too, is, it? is that what's going on here? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. They're, they're hung up on this Galilee thing, as some of the people were, because Galilee wasn't the society crowd. But here's what's wrong with the religious leaders as they make that argument, is they're flat out wrong about the prophets from Galilee. Um, there's no Old Testament backing to what they're saying. In fact, Jonah is probably from Galilee. And there's a chance Nahum is from Galilee. In fact, one of the first century uh, rabbis uh, wrote this. There was not a tribe in Israel from which there did not come prophets. And so these uh, Pharisees and religious leaders, are, they're just making this up. And we can see their boastful, arrogant condescending attitude, being loose with the truth. They're not considering the facts before them. They're self-righteous, they're mocking, and they are not listening. May we never be like the Pharisees who will not listen, but just be arrogant and boastful and self-righteous. And that's what they're doing. And they've hardened their hearts. 
come to the officers. And the officers, they have, in verse 46, they have one line. They say one thing, but to me it's the line of the whole passage. In verse 46, when they're asked, why didn't you bring him in? We gave you orders to go arrest him. Why didn't you bring him in? Verse 46, no one ever spoke like this man. No one ever spoke like this Jesus. The officers had listened. They showed up. And they listened to what Jesus was saying. And they could see the crowd there. They, they couldn't quite figure it out. But they said, are you listening to what he's saying? He's saying he's the fulfillment of this feast, going back to verses 37 and 38. And there's been actually a few days, Jesus has been there a few days now in teaching, and John doesn't tell us everything he says, but we always get this hint that John wants us to go back earlier in his gospel and pick up uh, some of the things that Jesus has been saying about himself. And, and so we go back to uh, John chapter 6. If you look at verse, uh, starting at verse 35, where Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And, and he builds on that for a while and and in verse 40 says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son, he's speaking of himself, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is saying, I will give you eternal life, and I will raise you up on the last day. And the officers are like, no one's, no one's ever spoken like this. Or if you go back to John chapter 5, uh, starting at verse 17, and, and this is after Jesus had healed the man uh, by the pool, and, and uh, the, Jesus answered, that they asked him, why are you healing on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered, my father is working until now, and I am working. And uh, then in verse 18, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling uh, God his own father, making himself equal with God. The officer is saying, do you, do you hear what this guy is saying? Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying he's equal with God, but he's God. He's saying he's the fulfillment of this feast. He's saying he's got eternal life. Do you hear what he's saying? Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, has written uh, uh, in Mere Christianity, one of my favorite uh, pieces of writing, and I haven't quoted C.S. Lewis in a long time, and, and it, this reminded me of, of what uh, Lewis writes in Mere Christianity, and, and it's somewhat long, but let me read. Uh, Lewis writes this, Among these Jews, there suddenly turns up a man who goes about talking as if he was God. He claims to forgive sins. He says he has always existed. He says he is coming to judge the world at the end of time. And then later Lewis writes, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. And that is, I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I do not accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the, uh, the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg, 
or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. You have a decision to make. What are you going to do with Jesus? Many of these Jews will spit in his face. Some will fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But he doesn't leave any middle ground. He never intended to. No one spoke like this man. And again, look at what he says in verse 37. If anyone thirsts, if anyone thirsts. And for the Jewish people of that time, they would have Part of what they would have taken from that is anyone? You mean outside of the nation of Israel? Anyone? But down through the years we read that, and anyone, that is you. There is no one outside the, the grasp of Jesus. If anyone thirsts, that spiritual thirst where you look around the world and you say, what's going on? And how does this make any sense at all. If anyone thirsts, Jesus said, let him come to me. Let him believe in me. And that is my prayer for all of us, that we believe in him. That we listen to his words. Not throwing up walls whenever we want to, but listen to what he says. Believe in him. Learn from him. Eat and drink his truth. Trust in him. Not try to reduce him to something else because that would make no sense. And we would end up arguing against ourselves. But falling at his feet. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. He is the God. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that Jesus spoke so boldly and leaves us no middle ground. We don't have to waver between one truth or another truth. There is only your truth. Help us, Heavenly Father, to recognize Jesus as our God, as our Savior. Help us to speak the word of Jesus. He is God. He is Savior. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have our eternal life in him because he is perfect. He is our perfect prophet. He is our perfect king. He is our perfect he is our perfect sacrifice. He is our perfect salvation. 
and salvation is all of you. And we thank you for that. And we do pray this in precious name.